Uh, but let's uh, focus, if we would, if we'll turn and open our Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We have been following in our studies here as we've been going along at last that we had left that the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea and they had turned around and they had watched the waters come in and flood over the Egyptian army led by Pharaoh. And they were dashed and gone and drowned in the walls of water as the Lord crashed down upon them. And Israel was safe on the other side of the river, other side of the Dead Sea, excuse me. I'll get it right yet. It's been a week. Uh, <laughs> it has. Other side of the Red Sea. There we go. And have come. So it was quite an experience. And if you recall, last week we talked about them singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb and the song of Mary. You, um, Miriam, if you would like to pick that up, your, that message is online. So if you found Exodus 15, if you're in one of our little books, it's on page 49. Here we're going to pick up with verse 22. Drop down Exodus 15, verse 22. Now Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Three days they traveled in the desert without finding any water. Evidently, there was no 7-Eleven handy at that time. And so they were unable to just run into the local convenience store. When we were traveling, we were able to find water wherever we went. Able to do that, weren't we? And yet, they were unable to find it out in the desert. They had traveled for three days. Now they're out of water. They need it for their families. They need it for their flocks. They're in trouble. And so the Bible says, when they came uh, to Marah, and also could be myrrh, depending on which um, translation you have, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that is why the place is called Myra. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Now, if you follow the stories that come through Exodus, you may find here and there some grumblers who uh, constantly went to Moses and to Aaron and grumbled about everything, constantly grumbling about this and that. Now, they were grumbling to him, and you have to remember, this was three days after their deliverance, as the Lord had saved them from the hands of going back into slavery. But I would like to caution us, before we rush to judgment and critiquing the Israelites, perhaps it might be good for us just to pause and think their behavior often reflects our behavior. Now, sometimes, what's the Bible say about getting the speck out of your neighbor's eye while you have the beam in your own, something like that? Is that uh, feeling critiquing of others? Um, I've been taught over the years that sometimes by uh, critiquing someone else, you're trying to build your own self up. You notice that? Always kind of looking for them in my immaturity. When I was in college, yes, I would critique all you. We would sit in the evening and critique all the speakers that we'd had over the weekend or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, realizing we were trying to puff our own selves up. Found that out later. So let's be careful in judging them and rushing to judge. But even though at times it would appear, what in the world were they thinking? Okay? 
So let's just take that. So verse 25, and then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. You may have in there a, a tree. And he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So away they went. All of a sudden, now everybody had water. Everything was good. They were filling up their sacks that they had to carry water. They had plenty to drink. Everything was good as the Lord took care of them three days after their deliverance. Now, today, it is important that you watch this story in the, very closely. Because it has many implications, many things that reach into our day-to-day. So we, we need to look at it in that kind of package to be careful. And don't let the story just slide right by you without noticing what may take place and what was happening. Because it became a pattern for the future. You shall see that in a few moments. So the, um, Paul speaks of the crossing of the Red Sea by the uh, Israelites was their baptism. Okay? was their baptism. It is interesting, if you look at the story of how that happened, they became the nation of the Jews, the nation of Israel. Once they crossed over into the Red Sea, they were no longer slaves. They were no just longer a community. They were a people now. They became a nation. They became God's people that he had rescued and pulled out. So now they had come across. They had been baptized, as it were. They were his. Their decision had made. And now God was going to teach them what there was to be to follow. It's interesting that they were baptized before they were taught. We usually teach them before we baptize them. Isn't that right? We usually do it in the opposite way. But they were baptized, and then they were said, this is what it means to be a follower of God. This is what it's about. This is, and so they were there. And there the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction from them, and put them to a test, the Bible says. To them, you may have the word ordinance in your Bible. So he said, he put them to a test. He's going to lay out some things to them. And he said to them in verse 26, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, then he said, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And we might ask, well, what diseases? Well, of course, we would think back immediately, well, it was the plagues. You know, about the plagues with on them. And of course, I could make that association, I think, pretty clearly and pretty easily. But in actual fact, as we look back in history and look at that particular time, the Egyptians suffered from eye and skin diseases. That was the thing that they wrestled with and still somewhat today. And so the Lord says, I will not let that, I will not lay those on you. Well, that would be cool, wouldn't it? If you will follow me. If you will do as I ask you. It is not a general thing. Some have concluded this means that if you follow God, you'll never get sick. That's not what's being told here. It's not specifically in the scripture. But he said that those that have been healed, those are things. You see, that's why I could suffer this week and be okay. Uh, so that, that particular thing of following the Lord and following his thing was those two things, those major things that were happening to the Egyptians. Why? And the Bible says, says, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. 
Now, my dad was a surgeon. And I had the privilege of one time of going in and watching him do a surgery. Um, I had never seen my dad do the best thing that he does in his life. Because they usually don't let children just hang out in operating rooms. So I was in college, and it was in the evening, and I was home from school. And I said, Dad, I would love to see a surgery. I'd love to see you do that. He says, well, this evening I have one at 9.30, if you'd like to come. Of course, the hospital wanted to make sure I didn't throw up or pass out. And, well, I had worked for an ambulance company uh, every summer, so I had seen it all. So I said, no, that won't be a problem, but I'd like to come in. So while I was watching my father do the surgery and uh, operate with the skill of a, of a great surgeon, I call him great. The other doctor said he was a great surgeon. Um, I had an entire uh, change of my, my mind about the skill of my father. And uh, I said, and as we got out, I remember that Dad, that was amazing. It was amazing to see what you do best, rather than just handing out pills and walking around in his office. And uh, I said, that was amazing to see how you did that surgery, even from a layperson's perspective. And I said, look what you did to heal that man. He says, oh, I don't heal anybody. And I said, what? I don't heal anybody. I'm the surgeon. I cut. I put back together. I sew. But only the Lord heals. Only the Lord heals. And then they came to Eliam. And there were 12 springs with seven palm trees, and they camped near the water, and they had plenty of water. Okay, so I'd like for you to say and think a bit, what would you say if you're there, had gone through that experience, and now you're sitting around the evening around the campfire, I suppose, and chatting about what had happened? Now, you had just a few days ago had come out of uh, Egypt, you had been drawn out, you'd gone across the Red Sea, you'd watched Pharaoh's army be buried in the waves, you had gone to this place and you needed the bitter water and they, the Lord took care of that, then he led you to a place where you would have plenty of water, and now you're sitting around, what kind of conversations would you be having, because The Bachelorette was not yet on TV, and so they, what would you be saying as you were sitting around talking together? Wouldn't you not be talking about how God had led you? Wouldn't that not be? Wouldn't that the stories be repeated over and over? Did you see that? Did you see that? I can imagine that. But I don't know. Next chapter. Chapter 16. The whole community then set out from Elam and came to the desert of Zin. Or Zin would be its pronunciation. Not trying to imply something wrong. And in the desert, the whole company grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us, you, Moses, you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And I, really, 
See, there's my tendency to be critique them. Critique them. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Now the concept of the bread from heaven is rich. It's something we need to pay attention to. You know, if you're in the Bible, you know a little bit about how this happened and how it works. So on Sunday mornings, uh, this bread from heaven, which they called the manna, on Sunday and through Friday, mornings only it fell, but double amount fell on Fridays. And they were told they would take a specific measurement, an omar, they were to go and to level out, gather as much, level it out, that was their allotment for the day. You are not to take more from your neighbor, you're not to just everything, there would be plenty for everybody if everybody shared equally in the food. So there it was to do it. And then on double amount on Friday, because no manna, no manna would be falling on Sabbath. None. Man, and the manna would not last overnight except on Fridays. Friday night it would last over. Isn't that interesting how God worked that out? I think that's fascinating. So verse 6, so, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening... In the evening, you will know that the, that the Lord, who, uh, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the evening. Notice in the evening. What went on to happen soon in the evening? Soon in the evening would be the evening sacrifice. And then he went on and said, and in the morning, verse 7, in the morning was the morning sacrifice. Seek me in the morning, seek me at night. In the morning and the evening you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against, not against me, Moses, but against him. The Lord said, the Lord has heard. So the Israelites basically complained about two things there. He said, they wanted the meat pots. You might have flesh pots. They wanted meat and they wanted bread. Meat and bread. So that evening, in verse 13, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, there were flakes like frost on the ground appearing on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Manna. That's where the word manna comes from. Um, for they did not know what it was. And when the Israelites saw it, whoops, I already said that. Oh, the manna, there I got. So Moses said to them, it is, notice, the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now recall, they wanted two things. They wanted meat and they wanted bread. They wanted their stew and they wanted bread to eat. And the Lord gave them the quail, their meat, and he gave them the manna. And for 40 years, the manna fell consistently. Consistently. Now, when I was a kid, sometimes we'd go over to San Francisco and we'd go to Fisherman's Wharf. There, I understand it's not too safe a place now, but we'd go down to Fisherman's Wharf 
And there was a San Francisco sourdough bread. Oh, my word. I remember I used to get it for about 75 cents a loaf. And uh, it would just be out there fresh, well, sourdough, however fresh sourdough is. And we'd get it, and we'd buy it. Now, my parents did not allow us to have white bread in the house. I think they were concerned about our nutrition. But they allowed us to have San Francisco sourdough bread. So we would there on a rare occasion. So I would get a loaf of that for myself. And the rest of the day, I would break off pieces and eat the bread. And I love bread. So do my granddaughters. Love bread. Do you love bread at your house? They wanted bread. They wanted bread, you see. Man shall not live by bread alone. So there's got to be something else beside that. So as the story went, then one Sabbath morning, some of the people went out to gather manna. And the Lord responded. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? The Ten Commandments had not been given yet. That was yet to come. Was he just if you remember, if you remember, it was Moses teaching them to Shabbat back in Egypt, remember? Taught them to Shabbat, and that was why Pharaoh said, Now, if you can take a day off, then you need to gather your own straw. We won't provide the straw for you anymore. So interesting the Sabbath issue that flowed through that and happening. Around a sign, a sign of our allegiance to God after we've crossed through the Red Sea baptism. See? So I want to come back to this concept the bread from heaven. In order to do that, we need to go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now in John, we have this remarkable story of Jesus when he fed the 5,000. Well, actually, there were thousands. There were probably 10 to 12,000 because they only counted the men. And in that story in John chapter 6, where John and Marianne, we have stood uh, there and seen this site, Jesus was there and he fed the 5,000 and he had with him five barley loaves and two fishes and he broke it. Are you familiar with the story? If not, you need to read it in John Six. Following that, he got into, uh, he sent the disciples out on the boat. This is up in the north side of, of Lake Galley. He sent them out on the boat. He stayed by to pray. And later on, as this is the time when he walked out on the water, remember? As he walked out on the water and got in the boat and went with them. You can read that story about them. But when the people got up in the morning, they went looking for him because they thought he, he had stayed local, but they didn't realize he walked out on the water and got in the boat. So they went looking for him. And they found him, and they caught up with him, and they were going to look for breakfast. If he could provide dinner, imagine what breakfast would be like. And so they went looking for him, and they got into this conversation. You can read that, but I'm going to skip all that and bring you back to the bread from heaven concept. So verse 28, John chapter 6, verse 28. Then, in this conversation they were having with the Lord, then they asked him, 
What must we do to do the works that God requires of us? Really? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. So they asked, By what sign, then, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And I'm going to ask, what are they thinking? This is 24 hours after he just fed them. They're asking, we need a sign from you. How insulting. And they go on, and now look at their words, what they have. You've, you, you've got to catch the connection here. So then they said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're asking this less than 24 hours after he had fed them. After he'd fed them. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses that has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread, bread from heaven. Would you notice, it's my Father who gives present, who gives you the true bread from heaven. It is my Father who does that. For the bread God, the bread of God, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, <laughs> always give us this bread. Always give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Israel's first need was water. Their second need was bread. Both provided by God's grace to them. They received the manna to sustain them. Jesus saying, he is the bread of life. He is the bread from heaven. He is the one. Now you think, I have food in my pantry. If I need food, I just run down to the grocery store. But the spiritual food, I don't get at Publix. The food that I really need, the bread that really counts, is given to me freely if I will seek it. And the Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it out. Try it out. Now I want you to notice something important 
that puts a little tag on the end of this. And that is his promise to us today. His promise to us. And it comes from Revelation chapter 2. In the story of the seven churches, as you rode through the seven churches, he makes this promise to everyone, to the one who is victorious, the one who comes to Christ, the one who surrenders, and he, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the what? Hidden manna. The rest of the world doesn't see it. The rest of the world in our world goes sliding by, has no concept of what the bread of heaven is. They have no concept of what it could do to their lives. They have no concept of what it means to take Christ into their life. And as a result, it becomes almost hidden from them, and it becomes one of our responsibilities to help them see. But that offering, that giving to the one of victorious, the Lord promised to us today that he will give to us the hidden manna, the food that our souls desperately need. Given to us freely and without want. Dear Lord, I thank you for this precious bread. Ah, oh, the bread. The bread that you provide. I thank you, Lord, for that. May we open our hearts and receive. And how do we do that, Lord? By focusing and looking and reading and learning. Being taught by your spirit that you promised. If we seek you, you will fill us. And we will never thirst again because you will fill our hearts and souls. I praise you, Lord, for that and give you the glory and the honor today. In Jesus' name, amen.